Good morning. It is 11.07, and Dave Rowland is going to be with us in about 15 minutes, maybe 20 at the outside. Uh, O'Fallon impeachment case uh, that uh, he filed, they've got an update on that. Uh, on Election Day, some progressives, uh, St. Louisians, again, uh, suggested that the city would be better off joining Illinois. We'll kick that around. Um, Fifth Circuit up held a pandemic-era city ordinance that shut down certain businesses, but not others. We'll kick that around. Uh, and a psychiatrist who was told she can't do her job in federal prisons. Uh, we'll also talk to him about uh, this uh, new marijuana law and just exactly what the implications are, because it really looks uh, pretty confusing for me. Uh, and I think uh, it will be for law enforcement as well. But I want to kick this around with you. I am not a fan of Warren Beatty. Uh, I think he's, you know, just a socialist, progressive uh, cretin. Uh, but he, I'm not sure that I, I like what's going on here. A woman has filed a lawsuit against him, alleging that he coerced her into having sex with him in 1973. Yeah, uh, that's roughly a half a century ago. She said that she was 14 or 15 years old. She filed the lawsuit in Los Angeles Superior Court on Monday. It doesn't cite Beatty by name. Warren Beatty, I guess Beatty is more uh, accurate pronunciation, but identifies the defendant as having been nominated for an Academy Award for his role as Clyde in Bonnie and Clyde, a clear reference to him. Uh, she now lives in Louisiana, alleges that he met her on a movie set where he paid undue attention to her, commented on her looks, gave her his phone number. She alleges that Beatty called her numerous times in 1973, invited her to the hotel where he was living and brought her on car rides. The suit states that Beatty, who would have been about 35 at the time, offered to help her with her homework and commented uh, to her several times about losing her virginity. According to the suit, the defendant, quote, used his position and status as an adult and a Hollywood movie star to coerce sexual contact with plaintiff on multiple occasions, including oral sex, simulated sex, and finally coerced sexual intercourse with a minor child. They say that uh, Hirsch was, quote, initially thrilled by the attention and believed she was in a romantic relationship with him. She is seeking compensation for psychological, mental, and emotional distress. The suit alleges that she had difficulty interacting with people in positions of authority. And as a result of the sexual abuse, uh, and, and has suffered issues with trust and control. Now... Quick question. If he's 35 years old and trying to seduce a girl who's 14 or 15, that's, that is a cretin. But 50 years later, you file a civil suit. Should she be able, should that, should that be allowed to happen? Should there be some tighter constraints on that sort of thing? And what would she be entitled to in your mind? A half a century later, 50 years later, she decides to file a lawsuit. God, 50 years? A half a century? 
800-529-5572. She filed the suit under a 2019 California law that opened up a, a three-year look-back window for claims of child sexual abuse that would otherwise be barred by the statute of limitations. That window expires January 1st. So, Brian, is that is that just a little too wide a window, in your opinion? Uh, you think? Half a century. <laughs> I mean, you had mentioned that she's uh, undergoing some mental health issues, correct? Yeah. I suspect that she's probably being coerced by, and I don't know any of this, let me put that out front. I just suspect that she may be being coerced by her psychiatrist to get some money to settle because oftentimes these things are all about money right they, they want to settle for a lump of cash and i mean 50 years come on this is just silly way too long and way uh, too long all right let me grab some calls here uh 874-9390-800-529-5572 is 50 years too long to look back at a civil case like this one, um, I I don't know. I if it were a relative of mine, I wouldn't want any statute of limitations. But common sense tells me fifty years might be just a bit too much. Uh, give me a call eight seven four ninety three ninety eight hundred five two nine five five seven two. You're gonna have to jump on this pretty quickly because I don't have a lot of time. Or you can go to uh, GaryNolan.com. Send me a message there. Let's kick it off with Gary. Gary, welcome. How are you? Great. Where in the world were the parents all this time? I mean, who lets their 14-year-old daughter run around with a 35-year-old lech to begin with? That's ridiculous. They should have been the ones to file the suit a long time ago. Well, maybe she kept it quiet. I don't know. I'm, yeah, how would she explain her disappearing? You know, uh, well, I went for a ride with a friend. Uh, it happened to be Warren Beatty. Um, it, it just seems like it's too big of a window. And then you can have false memories. You can have memories implanted. I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, if it did happen, it's pretty disgusting. But I'm just not sure, you know, what he would owe and whether or not it was just way too long. Um. Uh, to suddenly uh, turn around and start filing lawsuits. Who would be safe? I mean, what? I don't know. Uh, it, well, I guess I guess most adults would be safe because none of us would do that, but uh, it's just kind of strange. Uh, President Biden says that he isn't going to change anything. Well, maybe a little. He'll investigate perhaps Elon Musk, but otherwise, he thinks he's on the right track. He thinks... He's doing a good job, but he's not, and he did not do as well as he thought in the election. Just so you know, um, while unmarried women broke for Democrats, because the Republicans really didn't handle that particularly well, um, married men, married women, unmarried men, all voted in the majority for the Republicans. Uh, so, so it was a, a pretty good uh, turnout in that respect. The uh, the Republicans came out 
very strongly. Uh, there were a lot of Republicans who came out to vote uh, in this election. Uh, in fact, it was uh, impressively large. And yet, um, we still don't know what the, what the outcome is going to be. It's going to be a tough battle. But the Senate, those things, those votes should have been counted by now. It is incredibly frustrating to me that we, with te the technology we have today, can't count votes and get them done the same day. There's really no reason for that. Oh, well, maybe there is a reason. Maybe it's the complications of mail-in votes. I think we should ban mail-in votes. I've said this before. I know I get a lot of kickback on this. But I think we should. We should ban mail-in votes. Dave Rowland is coming up next. You're listening to The Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. 20 minutes after 11 and the inimitable Dave Rowland. MoFreedom.org. You just can't imitate this guy. Nobody I know goes after the government the way he does. And he's on board with us now. Dave, you, you sent me a list of... Uh, things that you wanted to kind of kick around on the program today. Uh, but I'm going to add one to that. Uh, and you, you actually may not be able to do much. Uh, I'm not sure. But I am curious to see what you do know. Uh, well, run it by me. Let's see what we got. Okay. So this Amendment 3 deal to the Constitution. Yeah. And it limits how many ounces of marijuana you can carry without getting arrested. Yes. So, and somebody's driving, Joe's driving down the street, and he's got, what is the limit, four ounces? Uh, he's got... I don't uh, recall off the top of my head. Uh, well, let's say... It is a limit, I don't know. Yeah, let's say it's four ounces, uh, and I don't know. Uh, and he's got a four-ounce bag uh, sitting on the uh, seat next to him, and he's got a joint in his hand uh, that he's going to light up as soon as he gets to where he's going. Do the police get to weigh the bag that's in the car? How do they, you know, and then they could they say, well, you got four ounces there plus the joint that you've got here. Uh, you're over. You're under arrest. I would. Well, I think uh, there are a couple of things that's at going going into this um, issue. One is uh, even though it will be legal to possess and consume uh, marijuana it will not be legal to do so in public. So if you're just driving down the road uh, and you've got a, a lit joint, then you've got issues. Yeah, Joe doesn't. Uh, He's going to light this up as soon as he gets okay, where he's so going. It, it, so it hasn't been lit. Um, I think the question is, is whether there's probable cause to believe that what's in the bag is four ounces or more. Um, if there was probable cause to believe that it was more than four ounces or or at or more than four ounces, then yes, probably the police would be within their rights to weigh the bag. Um, however, I think the big question here is, would they really have any incentive to do so? Um, you know, I think what we're going to see in the wake of um, Amendment 3 passing is uh, basically police officers just giving a pass on a lot of these marijuana laws unless the violation is so obvious and so egregious so 
you know, if, if you had someone who had six ounces. And my understanding, I'm not an expert in this. I, I actually don't know very much about marijuana, but, but my understanding is four ounces is actually quite a lot. And so if you're driving around with it in your car, it, it seems like that would be pretty obvious. Um, but but for there to be even more, I think, would would likely be what police officers would be looking for. It would just have to be no question that they were over the limit uh, before the police were willing to act. But I think another question here is what incentive does anyone have to drive around with that much marijuana in their car at this point? Um, they can legally keep it at their home. They can legally grow a certain amount at their home. And so why would someone be driving around with that much in the first place? I don't know that there's, you know, this is all just a huge hypothetical. And I, I kind of doubt that we would ever see a real world application like this. Um, just so you know, I believe that um, we will start seeing the first legal use of recreational marijuana probably in about a month. I think that there were 30 days between the passage of the amendment and uh, the beginning of these, the, the new standards going into effect. And I think we're looking at probably February before um, it can legally be bought and sold for recreational purposes in Missouri. They have to go through a certain process, a rulemaking process, uh, and a certification process before dispensaries are legally allowed to sell for recreational purposes. Um, but I did see a lively conversation going on online about uh, whether one could gift uh, these products to each other if they weren't buying selling and uh, honestly i think they probably can i think that the prohibition at this point is on um the purchasing and selling as long as we're talking about adults age 21 or over um and so uh, i think that that probably if people wanted to share uh they're probably legally allowed to do that at this point and even if even if the laws did not technically allow for sharing at this point i don't know what incentive um the police would have to to crack down on it Okay. Uh, then I got a message from Arnie. Gary asked Dave Rowland when the Sunflower Man Chris Bank uh, trial is. Uh, That's a great question. It has not been set yet. So the way that these things work, when you are charged with a municipal ordinance violation, um, you first go in front of the municipal court. And if you get a result that you don't like in front of the municipal court, then you can appeal and have a wholly new trial in the regular circuit courts. So Mr. Bank has filed his notice of appeal and actually just yesterday the court docketed the new case. They have not yet set a, uh, a trial date, but, but it's now been docketed and we're ready to move forward. I will say uh, this last week I filed a Sunshine Law request uh, so that we can actually look at the homes for everyone who has filed a uh, declaration of candidacy for office in the city of St. Peter's, we're going to look and see what they have in their front yard. We're going to see, do they have uh, only an uninterrupted sheet of grass in their front yard? Or do they have, say, you know, small flower beds? Or do they have trees or other objects in their front yard um, that, that might conceivably be something other than turf grass? And I think that it'll be really interesting to be able to tell the courts, well, you know, they're cracking down on Mr. Bank for having sunflowers, but here are all these elected officials who have all sorts of other things in their front yard. Isn't that a little hypocritical? Um, and uh, we'll see what the courts end up doing with that. That's going to be interesting. 
clever, clever play. Uh, O'Fallon impeachment case, where does that stand? Yeah, we just filed our uh, reply brief in the Eighth Circuit. For listeners who may not remember, uh, the city of O'Fallon decided they wanted to get rid of a city council member who uh, was asking uncomfortable questions about the now former police chief. And so they trumped up these uh, impeachment charges against her and railroaded her off the city council. We sued and said, look, this violates... Her First Amendment rights, she's got a right to ask questions about public officials. Uh, and then secondly, several of her colleagues who uh, were supposed to be sitting in judgment of this question of whether she violated the city's ordinances said unambiguously before the hearing, oh yeah, she totally broke the law. She totally did what uh, she's alleged to have done. And that's a due process problem. You can't have people sitting in judgment on an issue that they have already prejudged. It's a violation of the right to a fair trial. So uh, we lost at the district court. We've now taken it up to the court of appeals. I feel pretty good about um, where we're standing on this. It was interesting that the city's response to this was they said they didn't even try and dispute that um, these council members were biased and that they had shown that they had prejudged the issues. They basically said, regardless, they made their decision and now the federal courts have to respect it, which is a weird argument to make, a very weird, because if, if the whole issue is that the, um, is that this board was prejudiced and biased, then any decision it makes can't have any legal effect. So we'll see what the Eighth Circuit ends up doing with that. They're probably going to be scheduling oral arguments in that case for, uh, I would say, January uh, to April next year. We don't know exactly when they're going to get that argument scheduled, but I would anticipate January to April, and then hopefully we'll have a ruling by next summer um, as to whether... Katie Gatewood gets to continue her constitutional case against the city of O'Fallon. Um, make sure that uh, they don't hold that uh, trial uh, uh, and you have to make any appearances on a Thursday, okay? I'm just, I'm just <laughs> well, saying. I, I don't know that they're going to listen to me on that, but, but hopefully, hopefully it won't overlap with uh, my regular appearances on your show. Yeah, I, I'm just saying. A court case, being on the show. A court case, be, being on the show is the... It's the more important. All right, let's move on. Uh, Brian, what do I have, about one minute? You have one minute exactly. Well, that's not fair. He's, I know. He's not going to get even halfway through this. Well, but, but we can tease the stories that we're going to talk about on the other side of the break. You see, you know, he's a professional. He, he could be. He could work in radio. He, he could, could. He could be a fill-in host, even. <laughs> <laughs> Kansas City Mayor has filed a motion after Missouri passes Amendment 4. We'll kick that around. Uh, and a 67-year-old psychiatrist was told that she couldn't work for the Federal Bureau of Prisons unless she passed a test. We'll tell you what's in the test. Fifth Circuit Court upheld a pandemic-era city ordinance that shut down some businesses. Wow. I, you know, that really does, that just bothers me to no end that they were able to do that. Uh, let's see. And it was uh, a very good week for St. Louis City uh, Alderman, uh, Alderwoman, uh, Megan Ilya. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Ilya Green. Uh Probably because she met you, but I don't know. We're going to find out. We'll ask Dave Rowland. We'll do all that in the next 30 minutes on The Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network.
This is the Gary Nolan Show. It's 1135 and Dave Roland is with us, MoFreedom.org. Uh, that organization, Dave Roland, represents people for free. So if you can donate, uh, that would help because it's very expensive. And uh, frankly, if you had to pay for it yourself, you'd be brokered in the Ten Commandments. Uh, let me move on here because I am curious about Kansas City's mayor filing a motion. Uh, what's this about, Dave? Yeah, this is it's a, a weird situation, Gary, because um, the General Assembly passed a statute that basically requires Kansas City to devote a certain percentage of its tax revenue to supporting the police department. Now, the legislature can't do that with just about any city in the state. They can't tell a local government what they have to spend. But because Kansas City is effectively under state administration as far as its police department is concerned, the legislature felt like they could require them um, to devote at least one quarter of their revenue to law enforcement. Now, there was some question about whether or not this was actually constitutional, and that's why the legislature put on the ballot for Tuesday the question of whether the Constitution would be amended to require Kansas City to devote this percentage of its revenue. So the amendment passed, and I think that there are plenty of legitimate questions about whether the state should be allowed to do this, but the bottom line is that they have. It's now part of the state Constitution, and I understand that Mayor Lucas does not like this, but I don't think that his lawsuit has any legitimate basis. I mean, the fact of the matter is, um, if Missouri's Constitution gives the legislature the authority to require this, I, I can't think of any reason that this lawsuit might succeed. There's no federal claim here. If they wanted to claim that um, it was an equal protection issue, municipalities don't have equal protection rights. A city doesn't have the same rights that an individual would have. And so you basically have to come up with some theory about how individuals are being um, singled out and harmed as a result of this policy. And I think that that's very, very difficult to do. So um, I, I want to put a plug in that maybe officials like Mayor Lucas should not be pursuing these frivolous lawsuits. They have much better things to focus on um, and, and instead of clogging up the court's dockets and wasting taxpayer money in these performative lawsuits that are almost guaranteed to fail. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, it, it's going to cost taxpayers money. Um, it will. All right. So uh, I'm just, you know, I'm, just, I'm almost tempted to ask listeners what they think about giving St. Louis to Illinois. I mean, it's, <laughs> well, it's crime ridden. I mean, yeah, we'd lose the arch. But it's it really does well, fit in Illinois, doesn't it? <laughs> so, Gary, the thing that I think is so fascinating about this is you hear these rumbles every once in a while, especially when you've got you know uh, a heavily blue area, like a blue urban area that sits on the border um, of a blue state, but it's surrounded by this red sea, kind of like we've got with Kansas City and St. Louis in Missouri. And you hear the discontent sometimes. The, the people in the big cities don't like 
um, the policies that are being imposed on them uh, by the rural areas. And they say, well, we'll just take our toys and go to the state next door. In Oregon, you've got the opposite issue. So in Oregon, the state's politics are dominated by Portland, but the eastern counties are very, very conservative. And there's been a trend over the last few years for these eastern Oregon counties to say, you know what, we'd rather be part of Idaho. We don't want to be governed by the the liberals on the west side of the state. Let us join Idaho. So here's the really intriguing thing to me, Gary. It'd be one thing if these counties were saying, let us be our own state. And there has been, uh, over the years, a couple of different efforts to start the state of Jefferson, where basically the eastern counties in Washington and the eastern counties in Oregon would break away from their states and form a new state. Well, if they're going to do that, the Constitution has something very clear to say about it. You have to have an act of Congress. You have to have all states involved agree to allow this breakaway new state to be formed. But the Constitution doesn't say anything about part of an existing state joining another existing state. So if you're doing this, like if you are forming a new state, you've got to have a new state constitution. You've got to have uh, new senators being elected to the U.S. Congress. So that's part of the rationale for requiring congressional approval and, and all of this. But you don't have to do that if you're talking about part of a state joining another already existing state. And so there's kind of this question. Let's say the folks in Boise wanted to annex these eastern Oregon states. And let's say that the uh, lawmakers in Salem, Oregon, wanted to allow that to happen. Could you do it without Congress's approval? And I have no idea how the courts would resolve that. I think probably they would end up saying that you've got to have congressional approval, but I don't think that the Constitution actually compels that result. Um, So, in other words, what I'm saying in a nutshell is the hope is alive for those in St. Louis who would really rather have the enormous tax burden of being Illinoisans. Um, and, And if there were people in Kansas City who wanted to do the same and join Kansas, Maybe theoretically the Cong- uh, the uh, Constitution would allow them to do that as long as the folks in Jefferson City were able to give it their thumbs up. And, of course, the other two states would have to be willing to take them on as well. But I just... Right. <laughs> That's also true. But can you imagine turning down an urban area like that? If you're, like, let's say you're Illinois, I would think that they would they would like to have St. Louis, I would think. I mean, I don't know, but they could. They could theoretically just say no, but... uh, It's overtaxed, crime-ridden, costly, filthy. Well, however overtaxed it is, it's still taxed less than Illinois. Like, Illinois' tax rates are through the roof. They're just insane. Yeah, I know, but I'm just curious to see what what Missourians think about the idea of perhaps giving St. Louis... In fact, we ought to do is sell it to Illinois. <laughs> Use that money to reduce taxes. Uh, there'd be a lot less crime in the state. It, you know, it's an interesting idea. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, ultimately, what it would have to come down to is is you know the the choice of the people. I mean, they'd have to decide whether they wanted to be part of Illinois, and and of course, then you'd have the state legislatures that would have to make their decisions. But but the idea of selling it is certainly an interesting idea. 
yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a free market kind of guy. I'm, I'm open. I'm amenable to this. All right, Dave Rowland is with us, MoFreedom.org. Um, I guess we're going to go take a quick break because we got a couple of other stories here. Fifth Circuit upheld a pandemic-era city ordinance that shut down certain businesses but not others. God, I hate that sort of thing. And it sure did happen a lot. We'll kick that around with Dave Rowland next on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. It's 1148. By the way, a quick reminder, uh, tomorrow is uh, Froster Buns Friday. Uh, but right now, Dave Rowland is with us, MoFreedom.org. And uh, let's, uh, let's go into this uh, it, it, federal, uh, the Fifth uh, Circuit uh, and their pandemic-era city ordinance. Who filed what, where, and why did they decide to let it happen? Yeah, so this was um, one of the ordinances that got passed. It was a, a town in Mississippi uh, that, that passed the ordinance. And what the ordinance said is certain businesses had to close down entirely, including tanning salons. Um, but they allowed for other businesses like churches and Walmart and liquor stores to be open. And the owners of the tanning salon said, now, wait a minute, this is an equal protection problem. How can you tell certain businesses it's safe for you to be open, but it's not safe for us? Um, that just doesn't make any sense was the argument that was being brought to bear. Well, the problem is, is just claiming this discrimination um, based on the type of business didn't involve any fundamental right. So if you if you can say that they were making this decision based on a free speech issue or based on a religious discrimination issue, well then the courts have to look much more carefully at the ordinance and they have to, to criticize the ordinance much or they have to scrutinize it much more carefully. And the judges were apologetic in saying that they felt like they had to uphold this city ordinance. They said, look, at the time, there was so much uncertainty about the virus, about its impact on communities, that we have to kind of give the city the benefit of the doubt, unless we're talking about uh, of impacting a fundamental right. So a really interesting point of, of this opinion is there was a concurring opinion by Judge James Ho, who is a Trump appointee, and he says, there really should be a fundamental right here. We're talking about the right to earn a living. Historically, um, the right to earn a living in common occupations is absolutely a, a crucial part of what it means to be an American uh, and, and to have constitutional protections we should be treating the right to earn a living like a fundamental right. Now, as of right now, the U.S. Supreme Court does not do that. But basically what Judge Ho was trying to do is get it back on their radar screen and say, hey, this is an issue you need to take up again. Because if you really consider the role that the right to play a living has, has played in American history, it's clear that this needs to be the kind of right that triggers strict scrutiny um, from the courts, that causes courts to really raise the bar in what the government has to show in order to justify a restriction on, on freedom. Gary, this is the kind of opinion, even though this case did not come out the way that 
I would have wanted it to. This is the kind of opinion that groups like the Freedom Center, like the Institute for Justice, like Pacific Legal Foundation has been working towards for a quarter century. Um, we've been trying to get courts to take the right to earn a living um, seriously. And opinions like this, I think, move us that much closer to the U.S. Supreme Court ultimately reviewing this question and hopefully doing the right thing and recognizing that the right to earn a living is a fundamental right um, that's entitled to constitutional protection. You think it's kind of a long shot at this point? Um, it's, it's a question of finding the right case. I, I think that there are justices who are certainly open to this argument. I think uh, Justice Thomas is open to it. I think Gorsuch is probably open to it. Um, and it's possible that, say, Kavanaugh or Barrett or Roberts might be open to it. I don't know that Alito would be. But all you have to get is four votes to agree to take on the issue. So um, I think with the right case, maybe the Supreme Court agrees to take it up. So I don't know that I would say, well, it's a long shot in the sense that any novel theory is a long shot, but I think that when you get the lower courts raising the issue and saying, hey, really, this needs to be looked at, I think that that dramatically increases the likelihood of the Supreme Court ultimately taking action. So I'm cautiously optimistic that maybe in the next five to ten years, the Supreme Court will take on a right to earn a living case. It'll be, it, it, it really could have... Uh a long list of uh, uh, ramifications. Oh yeah, uh, I mean it, it would it would be huge if they took this on. Um, but but again, you know, we'll we'll just have to see if if they're willing to to take it up. Listen, um, just how physically fit do you have to be uh, to be a psychiatrist? <laughs> Well, according to the U.S. Department of Justice, in order to be a psychiatrist. Um, you have to be able to pass a physical fitness test that includes bagging a 75-pound dummy for three minutes. Would that be, be just any Democrat, or does it... Uh, never mind. Uh, okay. <laughs> you have to be able to climb a ladder in seven seconds. You have to run a quarter mile, and you have to complete an obstacle course. So uh, this, this lady is 67 years old. She's a psychiatrist. She had been working for uh, the Federal Bureau of Prisons, and they said, oh, yeah, now you've got to complete this, uh, this physical fitness test, and if you can't do it, you, you're going to get fired. Now, was well, this... Was this test something that she had taken in the past, or did they just suddenly create this? That's not clear. It, the way the case is written, it doesn't sound like she had had to take this uh, test in the past, but she had been an employee of the Bureau of Prisons, so I think it's possible. Um, but ultimately, um, she filed a lawsuit and said, look, there's no real reason that I should have to do this for my job as a psychiatrist, and... In any event, this test discriminates against old people and women. You, you know, old people and women are much more likely to, to fail this kind of a test, um, so it should be struck down. Originally, the, the courts would not let her pursue this lawsuit. They just threw the case out. Um, but a really interesting thing happened. The Department of Justice changed its position as far as how a statute was going to be interpreted. And ultimately, that led the Fourth Circuit to say, you know what, okay, 
this case is still alive. We're going to send this back down to the district court, and it's going to need to address this these constitutional questions. It can't just throw them to the side. So uh, really weird set of facts, but uh, but that case is still active, and we're going to find out if you can lawfully require 67-year-old women to complete this kind of a physical fitness test just so they can be hedgers in the prison system. You know, if I were going to defend this, I would say, you know, there could be a prison riot, uh, and we want somebody who's able to defend themselves uh, at least to this minimum standard uh, so that they can get themselves out of harm's way. That might oh, But be... they're not testing hand-to-hand combat, Gary. Well, the, you should at least, uh, you know, if I'm, it, this is me trying to defend this. Uh, at least you should have that <laughs> yeah. physical capacity to, uh, to get out of the way, to run, uh, to get yourself to safety. Uh, you've, you've got to have these minimum uh, capacities. So. Well, it may be that the courts ultimately find that kind of an argument persuasive. Again, this this decision did not say that this psychiatrist is going to win the case. What it said is she's entitled to have the courts address the substance of her argument. So you may be correct. They may ultimately uphold this uh, this testing requirement. I don't have a lot of time left, but tell me why it was such a good week for Megan Green. Yeah, so Megan Green was a uh, a St. Louis alder person who, during protests a few years back, got tear gassed. Uh, now, at the time, she wasn't doing anything illegal. She had actually been uh, she had been protesting, and when the police came out and started cracking down, she and some friends took shelter in a synagogue and. Uh, when they got an all clear, they were going home and they were out just walking uh, along the sidewalks. And all of a sudden, uh, a St. Louis police vehicle started firing tear gas at them. And so she filed a lawsuit saying this was police brutality. And she ended up uh, getting a ruling from the Eighth Circuit last week saying that she is allowed to pursue her claims. The the city had tried to say that these officers were entitled to immunity, both qualified immunity and official immunity. And the Eighth Circuit says, nope, she's allowed to bring claims. Well, to follow that up, she also won her election this week as president of the Board of Aldermen in the city of St. Louis. So she's in a really interesting position now, both as far as her litigation and as far as her, her future job responsibilities. We not only got through all of your topics, but we even added a topic and got through it in 45 minutes. Well, not bad. We're good. Yeah. Dave, thank you for being with us. Dave Roland, MoFreedom.org. All righty. Whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day. Carpe deal.